This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash thecitadelcafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 472 for Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Brocket Vola is back, the Cat Volver, on all the social media that matters. Welcome back to the show, my friend. It has been a hot minute. Hey, I'm back from the basement where uh, Joel locks me away <laughs> to keep me <laughs> off air as long as possible. Behind the curtain, he said, we don't do pre-show live anymore. We just roll right into it. And yet I still got him to talk for about 10 minutes pre-show. So really on schedule, Joel. We're doing a great job here, but I'm happy to be back. Well, we were talking about fellow podcasting friends, Garrett and Kyle. And and I feel like you you can't just not mention them and then not talk about them <laughs> right, <laughs> for, for exactly. a few minutes. Yeah, exactly. Grinding Gears podcast for anybody wondering, go check it out. But I'll have a link in the show notes and stuff for it because it is it is worth a mention and worth a listen, especially if you're into video games, although they talk about so much more than than video games. But uh, if you're interested in, in those kind of podcasts, which are my favorite kind, which is to be a fly on the wall, you know, that's always been yeah. my goal with my shows is like to have somebody tune in. And even if you're doing something a little bit more formal, a little bit more informative, like say the Spawn Chunks, my Minecraft podcast, I still hope that people feel like they're hanging out with Johnny and I as we just kind of talk about Minecraft. I feel like that might be true of the discussion segment, but maybe not so much the news segment, because we do have to kind of go through the bullet points of like what's happening at Mojang and what's new in Minecraft. And that could be a little bit more formal, but I, I like to think that it's a pretty casual conversation. And certainly here on the Citadel Cafe, it's casual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost a to, to a fault. Uh, in my on, on my behalf so since the last time you've been on the show has there been any geeky hobby or pastime or anything that's been fun crossing the rocket pathways just the usual things joel stop luring me back into the things i bore your listeners with over and over again i've revisited <laughs> a few video games since the last i i was on the show i played and beat uh tears of the kingdom the new zelda Breath of the Wild style switch game. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's excellent. New. Yep. Um, quite good. Uh, also terrifying. It tapped into two major fears I have, which is exploring pure darkness and uh, being very high in the air. So great job, Zelda. Best horror game of the year um, <laughs> for me. Um, but it was great. And then uh, outside that, again, in our wheelhouse, um, I think I, I texted you on the side. Uh, I, I always forget how hbo max max whatever it's called however that exists um outside the states is but on there tied to adult swim um they did a new superman cartoon show uh, i believe it's called my adventures with superman i think so yeah um it was it was just amazing jack quaid who i don't know because i don't watch the boys does the voice of superman um and he is just freaking endearing every it, it's truly it's truly all the things that we argue about we're not arguing about, but we complain about when it comes to Superman. Um, and I think in that show, that's the best Superman thing I've absorbed in a very long time, which makes me nervous about the new James Gunn legacy um, yeah. Superman film because, you know, 
we, we've talked about it a lot. Like, it's really hard to nail Superman. I think people think it's easier to get Superman because you focus on the powers and he's a Boy Scout. Nailing genuine earnestness and joy while also being, um, how do I say this? Not awful good, but just like forthright and like, you know, your ethics and morals and that sort of stuff. It can be really, really difficult <laughs> to nail uh, in a very sincere way. And I think that's what's kind of been missing here and there. Even Cavill, who was good at Superman, I think they lost some of that um, earnest, goofy love and heart that, that the characters had for a long time. So it, that's all present in the new cartoon. Absolutely excellent. Um, couldn't get it. It was one of the few things that, like, in the streaming age, I would check to see if it dropped slightly an hour earlier than it should have. Wow. That's how much I look okay. forward to it every single week. So really good. Kind of goofy bonkers. Leans into a lot of goofiness that real uh, Superman heads will probably remember from like 60s and uh, 70s. Some of that sort of screwball science that sometimes comes up in Superman. Right. I think I've seen a couple of clips on social media and I've, I haven't finished it, but I did get back into... Superman and Lois for a little bit. Mm. And while not everything about that show is my favorite, I often have the same complaint that my dad does about modern superhero shows is basically he's like, what's the point of having a secret identity when everybody in the show knows who the superhero is? Like he talked about that, about the flash, about arrow, about Superman. Like whenever they do these, like ultimately the main cast lasts like a half a season before they find out who the, like the big secret, you know? Um, right. Exactly. But I will say that one of my favorite dynamics in the Superman kind of mythos is I do enjoy it when Lois knows. I just, there's just something about, maybe it's because we live in a modern age where cell phones and the internet and satellites and all that kind of stuff exist. And you can imagine someone as smart as Lois figuring it out pretty fast. But I like that dynamic. I like the fact that like when they are together and it's that, it's that, you know, job that takes you away from the relationship stress and that kind of like patience and respect that Lois has to have. And there's been a couple situations. I, I don't remember the, the, the episode, but there's one situation where somebody pulled a gun on Lois in Superman and Lois and Clark was mad and he left like kind of stormed out of the farmhouse and Lois kind of like, Hey, this isn't a job for Superman. And he just, he just kind of turns and looks at her deadpan and says, Superman's not going and just went as Clark to confront this guy, but pulled a little, pulled a little Superman out of the can, just, just, just a tiny bit. But it was really cool to see that side of Clark being like, no, no, this is really Clark emotionally. And he's restraining all of the Superman just to just enough so that he can just be Clark and be, you know, an angry father, husband, you know, protector. Right. And it was, it's right. a, you, you've probably seen it on social media if you've not seen the whole series, but like, it's, it's a really cool moment in that show. And so I keep on meaning to get back to it, but then I don't have access to it. So it's, it's one of those things that uh, it's on my list. And I have, I've seen clips of the, the, uh, my adventures with Superman. So mm -hmm. they're all out of context. So I, I don't know like the pacing and stuff like that, but uh, the yeah, animation yeah. looks good. Like the quality of the show looks fantastic. I think, and the thing I, that I've absorbed so far is like, it's like, it's, I would say it's anime light because there's some elements to it. Like nobody's like faces exploding and like leaking tears and that sort of stuff that more trope like, but there are definitely some nuances that feel like kind of like the melding of Western and anime and all these sort of things that um, I'm seeing more and more in like Netflix series. Like I love Castlevania. 
um and there's a new one of that out but like the thing i liked about it was it would have like the style of fight choreography was like so much better it was like anime-esque like the movement and stuff Mm. and that sort of show and i think in superman it's similar but like there is characterization and humor that i still feel like fits um western audiences um so there's i mean yeah it's good. It's really good. I, I could I I almost wrote it down. I don't want to take more time on mm-hmm. it because I mostly really, really want you to watch it. Um, I think there's only 10 episodes of it. Well, that's a that's a small ask. It's it's a brand new show. It came out 2023, right? Right. Exactly. And yeah. I also think that um, they're pretty breezy. I would say looking back, the first two episodes kind of are like the warm up to it. And I liked it because it was new, but I wasn't like. I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, You know, this is fun. I enjoy this. But like by, I would say solidly by episode three into four, um, I was like, oh my gosh, they're doing something. They're doing some things that I'm surprised by. And once I get surprised by Superman things, good or bad, at least I'm going to watch a little bit more to see, you know, where, where they're going. And it was all good surprises from then on. So I, you know, I really... I really fanboyed out about a lot of stuff in, in that series. So I really appreciate it. Highly recommend it. My adventures with Superman uh, tied to Adult Swim or uh, Max in the States. I'll have to look it up to see what it's available on in Canada. For me, I've actually been consuming more of Making It So, a memoir by Sir Patrick Stewart, which I've mentioned on the show before. I thought I would keep people posted as to you know how the book is going. Uh, I'm still reading it, still very much enjoying it. And I was hoping to read more, but then I'm also realizing I shouldn't be beating myself up for not devouring the book. I'm trying to savor it. And I learned this lesson from reading uh, a Disney biography uh, last summer. And there's just a lot of life to tell in making it so. And I feel like if you read it too fast, it would be really hard to digest and retain some of the stories that Stuart is, is conveying to you. And uh, I really, really enjoy it. I highly recommend it. It's still on sale on Amazon, I think, for $10 off or something. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's, a good, it's a good read. It's also a decent book. It's, it's, good. it's got like a 400 or 500 page count. I, should, I shouldn't say decent book. It's a decent size book is what I mean. Um, so you're getting a lot for, for, uh, for a brand new hardcover. And the standout thing right now is just realizing how much life has changed since the 40s and the 50s when Mm. you're getting the perspective of a child like a 5 to 12 year old 5 to 14 year old boy because he was born in 40 1940 and getting that kind of perspective from someone who was old enough to remember it you know like wasn't born in 55 was born in 40 so in 55 he was 15 and so you've got like core memories that that he's conveying and they're really really cool and his sense of humor throughout the book is just fantastic because he'll break uh, a little bit out of out of telling something from his home in North England, you know, from the 50s with a little tidbit from like the set of Star Trek or the set of a play years later or something and just kind of say like hey, you know, like I've changed a lot but not that much, you know, and just kind of like yeah. bring bring some stuff forward. It's it's really good. It's I really really recommend it. Um I've not listened to the audiobook of uh, Alistair a uh, friend of the show has got a copy of that and I haven't touched base with him on it to see where he is because I don't want to necessarily spoil myself on anything. But I also, you know, like I, I know that for me, 
I wanted to have this as like a, a, a quiet time for myself and not just have yet something else to listen to. But obviously Patrick Stewart reading the book would be uh, phenomenal. So there's that for people that are more audiobook listeners. There is also the audiobook as well. Moving on to what we have been watching, we've got a special pass or play with Brockett, as we often do here, but I do want to have a mention off the top of the show, and that is something new that I've been watching. Uh, speaking of Alistair, it was actually a recommendation from Alistair, and that is For All Mankind. It is a sci-fi, I want to say fantasy alternate history series on Apple TV+, and it starts off in the late 60s following the astronauts as they were attempting the moon landing. And the twist is that Russia beats America to the moon. And unlike something like Man in the High Castle, where this one little thing changes and like the Nazis win the war and changes everything for this dystopian past future, you know, alternate reality, this mm. just takes like it takes that moon landing and says, okay, well, the Russians beat us there. What would that have done to the funding, the emphasis, the focus of the American space program, if they knew that instead of being way out ahead of the pack, they were neck and neck with the Soviets at the time. And it does a very good job of changing little things, but making sure that other stuff is relatively the same. You know, like I feel like the Nixon was still a president. Watergate was still a thing. So like they had to write all that kind of stuff into the show. And the show moves at just the right pace where you jump from like, you know, six months later, maybe two years later, as different events happen, even in just the first season. So you're going through the late 60s, then you're in 72. And, you know, like you've got all the cultural shifts, you know, like there's all the bell bottoms and all the, the housewife <laughs> stuff. Like they really yeah. do a good job of bringing in those kind of issues. And there's also some issues with uh, different, you know, walks of life, different sexuality and, and, and racism and stuff obviously coming in in the late, you know, 60s, early 70s in America and how they handle that. Women in the workforce is another thing, uh, you know, getting women astronauts up in space. They do that a lot earlier than happened in history and and how does that affect you know you've got the views of housewives that are looking at female astronauts and some look up to them and some really don't like the idea like there's all this kind of push and pull and basically to to pull back like it's complex in a very very good way they write it for drama so there's always something bad happening to someone it's not everyone all the time but somebody is usually going through some sort of hardship whether that's emotional or or you know like a career thing or something that they desire that's that they can't can't have um, whether that's like a career moment or uh you know being reassigned because at the time and i don't know it might still be this way but nasa is very much at the time uh in this in the show a, a military sort of thing like you get orders like you don't go up right uh, to the moon because you want to you are assigned to a mission and that is your mission and you might want to be on apollo 23 but you're on apollo 21 so deal with it like that kind of stuff so mm -hmm. there's there's that kind of like posturing and trying to climb not the corporate ladder but like the power scheme and stuff like that um but the writing is well paced it's nuanced and i like most of the cast and i would say that anytime i dislike a character it's because you're not supposed to like them it's because the actor is doing such a very good job being an asshole 
that you're just yeah. like, yeah, I love to hate this guy, but I can't wait for him to be off the screen because I'd like to smack him across the room. And mm. um, I, I feel like that's true of, of a couple of characters. Usually they're politicians. Usually it's like, you know, the space director is trying to do things for the right of the astronauts, for science and for safety. And then somebody else is like pushing a political agenda with very little regard for those other things. And that yeah. kind of makes you think like this, you know, this person's dickhead. I really don't like him. And I don't think anybody in, in like any of the characters in the show don't particularly like that character either. So it it kind of has them grading on screen you know in the same way that you don't like general ross in marvel avengers stuff mm -hmm. like you just you understand yeah. that he's got a position of power but he's kind of a, an abrasive son of a bitch you know yeah joel kinnaman plays edward baldwin and he's good uh often angry acting like a lot of frowny stuff but i think that's kind of part impartial with what the character is going through I'm hoping that they get him out of that. It seems like it's lightening up a little bit as I go through the season. Uh, I should mention that I'm only seven episodes through 10 in season one, which is from 2019. I'm a little embarrassed it's taken me this long to get on board with the show. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because it's been thrown in front of me in, in Apple TV Plus a lot because season four debuts on the 10th, which is Friday, this, this Friday. So uh, there are uh, uh, full three seasons available, plus the fourth is coming. And I believe... I don't know whether they're releasing that all at once. Apple tends to do weekly, so it's probably going to be like every Friday mm. for the next 10 weeks. The character Baldwin, Edward Baldwin, has a interesting relationship with his wife, Karen, played by Chantel Van Satin. And at first I thought it was pretty typical and then they made it more subtle and then they made it more complex. So I, I'm really curious to see where they take it because I think one of the best things that the show does is that you're presented with like, 1960s housewife you know one kid husband's got a job in the military and you think i, I know where this is going i know how this dynamic is going to go and you're wrong and i like that you're wrong they they twisted enough that you're not you know your assumptions are, are off base by just a little bit and they i really like the way that the characters like will have an argument and be mad at each other but then still hold hands you know, in certain situations and just, they do it out of just like that. I hate you right now, but I'm still here. You know, like it's, it's got that kind of dynamic. Whereas in previous dramas, I feel like you'd have more of a silent treatment, you know, like some typical sitcom type situation. And they don't do that here, which I, I like a lot. Um, the other main couple is uh, the Stevens, which is um, Gordo and Tracy Stevens. Sarah Jones plays Tracy Stevens, and she just delivers a fantastic performance. She goes through the ringer as far as physical performance, emotional performance, and she's just a good actor all around. Really enjoy what she does. Uh, Michael Dorman plays Gordo, and his performance is great. It's He's is a character that makes choices that make you not like him, even though he is a likable person. And I won't get into spoilers, but like the, you, you tend to get, you tend to be mad at Gordo in the same way that you're mad at a friend that keeps on doing stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Despite the fact that you like them, but you're just like, God, why are you being such a moron? You know, uh, selfish, <laughs> yeah. selfish moron. Like it's, it's a fault. It's not like, it's not like stupid is as stupid does. Like he's, he's really selfish and and that and you get mad at that despite the fact that he's a good dad and you know like there's there's other redeeming qualities but like there's a big thorn in the side there but i think it's worth checking out thank you again to alistair and ryan for recommending it because i uh, i'm glad i pulled the trigger on it it's different than i thought it was going to be because i had seen some of man in a high castle and i kind of figured this was just apple's answer to that and it's not right it's 
divergent and despite the drama, the overall space race and the progress is really uplifting. Like it's about future. It's about progress in general. There's always those bumps along the road, but it's definitely got a positive outlook. So it's not one of those, the aliens are invading and the world is ending kind of shows that are everywhere right now. You know, right. it's also not rich people behaving badly, which I also think is overdone in. Modern, yes. That's modern everywhere shows. right now too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Highly recommend if you have access to Apple TV Plus that you check out for all mankind. So getting into the holiday pass or play, what have you prepared for us? Here's the thing. So normally with pass or play, we like to tackle upcoming recent to theater slash streaming releases. However, um, I would like to focus on one, uh, films that are almost um, classics at this point, either modern or pretty socially historically classics of the season not yes a lot of them i should add a caveat ahead of time this is a lot of american um yes a lot of them kind of do skew towards the christmas side of things i've tried to find some that are a little bit more generic holiday or that season um so i do apologize for the um for the the narrow focus a little bit on some of these classics. However, I tried to focus on some of the ones that were more buzzy uh, and kind of come up more often around this time of year. And I should also add the caveat early, Joel. We did get our Halloween decorations down. However, <laughs> we have a strong rule that Thanksgiving, I was going to say Turkey Day in the States, this, uh, whatever, Thanksgiving <laughs> in the States um, the day after in the States is also known as Black Friday. That's the day we truly have our Thanksgiving dinner because of when people come to town and um, they're spending like the Thursday of with other folks. And so anyway, we're hosting on the Friday after Thanksgiving in the States, which is, I believe, um, the fourth week of November. I think we have five, four weeks. Anyway, we don't put up any Christmas related or big holiday stuff. That's not tied to the season of giving thanks until post that Thanksgiving dinner is served. So essentially not until after Black Friday in the States do we put any of these holiday stuff up. Um, I did, as a joke, play one Christmas song on the way to drop off my daughter uh, that made my, my wife's eyes uh, narrow and her nose scrunch up. Um, so we're also not blasting any holiday music at this time. But I did want to get ahead of things because, as I've said before, Joel likes to lock me away in his basement for a couple months. So I don't know the next time I'll emerge. So I wanted to <laughs> knock this out now. Um, and I figured it'd be fun because I feel like a lot of these now, again, Americanized. So you'll have to be like, that's not a thing in Canada. Um, if any of these come up and you're like, I haven't even heard of these. But I tried to narrow them down to a list um, and as we do with pass or play, the idea is, in this case, whether you've seen it or not, in most cases, hopefully you have seen these holiday films, you would just say, definitely, you want to play this, you know, put it in front of yourself, put it in front of your loved ones, put it in front of your kids, whoever, just play. This is definitely one that's worth keeping around in the holiday season. Or you want to pass, like, this one needs to go away, or I've never enjoyed this, or just simply like, no. So I um, I put the list together here. We could start at the top whenever you're ready, Joel. And I've tried to put some buzzy ones on here that we might have a little back and forth debate about whether or not they should really be included in this list because I have feelings about some of them as well. So if you're ready, uh, we'll start at the top with one that I usually get in arguments with people right around this time, which is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. And here's the thing, and I get it. 
there's Halloween Town, Jack is pining for Christmas, all these sort of things. I've gotten in some big arguments over if The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie. So without my opinion weighing in first, I just want to hear, Joel, do you think of it as more of a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? I think of it as more of a Christmas movie only because I remember one Halloween, I thought, oh yeah, I'll watch this. This is a, this is a Halloween movie, right? And then I watched it and go like, this isn't a Halloween movie. <laughs> you know? uh, right. it, it does fall somewhere in between. It's one of those films I always mean to watch around this time of year. And I never pull the trigger because I get distracted. And I was like, well, I can't watch it on Halloween because it's too Christmassy. But then after Halloween, it's almost a little bit too Halloweeny to be watched on like December 15th. You know, like, so you have <laughs> to, you kind of have to figure where to put it. And, and mm-hmm. I, I agree with you though. I think it lands uh, more on the Christmas side and I love it. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's a classic. I think it's a fantastic film. Okay. So you're definitely going to hit play on it. I will hit play. And my opinion and the way I look at it is this. If you remove that Jack is from Halloween Town, the main storyline still plays. A character is pining for the secret of Christmas and discovering what it's about. But if you remove Christmas, it's essentially a character from Halloween Town's pining for the meaning of what. So that's the argument I make is and most Christmas films, for better or for worse, are usually about trying to find the meaning of Christmas or family or these things that luckily people should just understand is important more than the trappings of the holidays but for whatever reason it takes a skeleton man from a city filled with dead people to uh, teach us that so i'm also going to hit play on tim burton's the night before christmas um pass or play on home alone pass wow that was a long pause it's because i loved it as a kid it came out in 1990 so i was 11 so we watched it to death. Like I, if I see pieces of it on TV at like a friend's place around Christmas time, I can recite lines from it. <laughs> like it just is one of those things where I think I've seen it to death. And it, it for me, it, um, that makes sense. I, we, our oldest is five, our youngest is two and a half. So a little old for, the two and a half year old, but we have a five year old, so we have multiple kids. So the two and a half year old is going to see it anyway. But my wife and I are actually excited to sort of expose them to the first Home Alone um, this holiday season. Um, and uh, I do think um, some of the extreme, <laughs> extreme bodily harm performed on these robbers um, <laughs> will, uh, will will hopefully um, land, uh, pun intended, on our children um, pretty pretty well but um, i'm gonna hit play i do think definitely if it was us as a couple without children um probably would pass on home alone just for other things on this list but i think um if you can get around (laughs) again some of those things in home alone where you're like wow man this is uh definitely of a different time where uh they're just almost near murdering people um with these things but hey you know it's a kid home invasion things uh, do what you have to kids. If my kids rigged up their house to stop horrible ride robbers, more power to them. So I'm going to assume I already know what you're going to say. Pass or play on home alone Two: lost in New York, but I'll, I'll let you say pass or play on home alone Two. I'm going to say pass, but I've probably only ever seen it the once. If it was good, I, it didn't 
really stick with me. I remember liking Home Alone and being all over it when I was a kid, but Home Alone 2, I'm sure I saw it, but like I have no recollection of what actually happens. I think I actually knew Home Alone 2 more. And I don't know if it's because I had access to VHS of it. But ironically, I grew up knowing Lost in New York way more than the first Home Alone. Um, so it was, that's probably why I liked the first one a little bit better because I was less overexposed to the first one than I was the second one. But mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, now there's several versions of this, but I'm trying to focus strictly on the original black and white version of A Miracle on 34th Street. Pass or play for you, Jewel. I have seen it. I would hit play. And a lot of that would be because I would want to see it again because I'm sure when I saw it, I was a lot younger and I would have more of an appreciation for the story and the just I would watch it for like the filmmaking at that time. Um, so mm -hmm. the you're talking about the original black and white. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd hit Correct. play yeah. on A Miracle on 34th Street. I think the story behind it is more interesting. But um, and this one is one that I kind of I kind of think lands nicely around thanksgiving as well they play it after thanksgiving because of its ties to wow big surprise going shooting back through time um product placement macy's is all over a miracle 34th street right as a company for years when macy i think was almost going to go bankrupt i was like are they finally going to pull this movie from showing all the time people are going to be like macy's what is that is that like jc Penney's or railroads like what are those things buttons on phones i don't understand um but i actually i'm a pass a miracle of 34th street none of the versions of them have really spoken to me so they don't they, they haven't really been as strong for me as well but um so i'm a pass on the miracle on 34th street the original black and white one would be the one i would lean to if i was going to lean to one the next one i do remember watching in theaters it was one of the few of these that I remember going to a theater and seeing it's the original there's so many of them now but I'm focusing on the original Tim Allen the Santa Claus is that a pass or play for you that would be a pass but I'm gonna <laughs> say because I'm single and don't have a family I could see it being a good family film I remember seeing it in theater and I remember liking it because you know Tim Allen and Home Improvement was like at the top of you know, the mm -hmm. the cultural zeitgeist at the mm -hmm. time but uh, it's not on my list of I should watch a Christmas movie that doesn't come up in my head. That makes sense. I would I'm going to hit pass. It's one of the ones um, there's so many other of them. I haven't seen past the first one. And now there's a second season of the streaming show, The Santa Clauses. So if anybody out there is deep into this franchise, maybe they can highlight whether or not it's it has legs or it's good or anything like that. But um, literally, there's only two jokes in the whole Santa Claus I, that still hold up or ring in my heart um and one was a popo jiju joke which was like a a weird claymation character that came up i think on snl that was tied to a holiday that my father had to explain this joke and literally like pre-youtube trying to find a way to show me who that character was and he lost his mind about this joke so i enjoyed the joke because dad liked the joke but i didn't didn't understand the joke and then the only one other one uh, big spoilers <laughs> if you if you haven't seen the Santa Claus. Um, there is a character uh, whose biggest uh, want for all of Christmas was a Oscar Mayer weenie whistle. And uh, there's a moment when the character gets it and their reaction to it is just great comedic uh, reaction and timing. And it got me so hard. Um, and my dad, of course, also lost his mind at that joke. So those are the two things. If I could just hone those down on YouTube down to about, like you know, two, three minutes, boom, nailed it. But otherwise, it's a pass for me. 
here's one that's in recent years become pretty controversial for how a lot of segments of it have not aged particularly well, but it always comes up this time of year. So I have to put it on the list. Would you pass or play on Love Actually? I would hit play. I quite like that film. And and you're saying it doesn't hold up? Well, there's certain elements. There's It's not the holding up part. There's one... Um, so like the the politician who like has a relationship with one of their subordinates, there's a lot of earnestness in the story that is fine. But like in retrospect, the scene where um, I think it's Andrew Lincoln, the one from um, the Walking Dead series where he goes up to Kara Knightley's house and he's doing the cards and stuff. Right. Is a really great moment. It's been memed. It's probably the most memed out of the whole film. But when you really examine the context of your best friend's wife you've been pining over and you're secretly like like i get that he's expressing his feelings but also strictly from like a friendship standpoint it's like wow kind of like a super douche move but all right cool 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 i mean get your feelings out or whatever so that moment that moment like in a few and a few blinks of the eye, you could be like, eh, but I definitely still love, in particular, I think the Bill Nighy character, the old aging pop star. Oh, that yeah. <laughs> that bit is great. Yeah. Um, heartbreaking Laura Linney with her brother. That storyline is great. The late, great Alan Rickman, his storyline with um, Emma um, Thompson. Emma Thompson. Their relationship, that story is heartbreaking, but so well acted. Um, and then, I, you know, I still love the Hugh Grant stuff. And I think the Colin Firth storyline is really good. Um, I forget about the Liam Neeson and his son storyline. And then the weird boys that want to go to America to basically just hook up with American girls. Um, there's so many stories in there I forget about. But um, I, overall, I'm probably going to pass mostly because of um, I think there's a few more on this list that that ring more with me. Um, and it is a big place at Christmas, but I, I don't, I don't feel like love actually, I mean, it's called love actually. It's not called Christmas actually. So right. even though it takes place around Christmas, uh, the heart of it is about art and love and, and the things that bring us together. And so Christmas is a good like overlay, but I don't think it particularly, uh, nails the holiday in particular. Um, so, uh, moving on to something that I feel like definitely is pretty much a sacred cow in the States. White Christmas with Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye. What is that for you, Joel? I know that's a big, more American one, but pass or play on White Christmas. I'm going to hit play, but here's a fun little note. I only saw it for the first time last year. Interesting. I just remember really liking the dialogue and some of the dynamic between Crosby, Kaye, Rosemary Clooney, and Vera Ellen. And I really liked one of the lead women. And I can't remember who was like, I know there's Betty Haynes and Judy Haynes are the two sisters in the film, mm -hmm. but I don't remember which is the one that I thought was like my favorite. And I, so I don't, cause I only saw it the once. So I don't right. really remember the dynamic, but I just, I remember thinking like, this is fun. I remember it was long, but it was on network TV. So there was commercials like every 15 minutes. Right. Um, but, but I, I liked it. It was an interesting time capsule look so i would hit play because i've not seen it a hundred times i've just seen it the once and i think it would be interesting to see it again uh, yeah i think i'm gonna hit play as well it's one of the few older films um i think because of musical numbers um and just the just genuine joy i've like danny Kay and is, is like in this hierarchy of of golden age um actors that i just always loved growing up i still have a lot of um appreciation for him and you know um uh, jimmy stewart and, and some of these other 
actors out there. And um, I, I just, Danny Kaye, just for that film alone, uh, I love Danny Kaye film. So he's outstanding. The rest of the principal cast is also very well, um, is also very good. Um, Bean Crosby is good. Um, I don't think he's particularly blowing anybody away. He's a crooner who's put in front of a screen. So, but Danny Kaye does everything and he really carries it with his energy uh, for me. And I think that's what helps withstand the test of time a little bit more. Um, but um, yeah, there's some really cute um, bits in there. And uh, overall, it's definitely still a play. And I still think pretty, pretty um, uh, overall a good one for everyone. I think even generally younger kids can enjoy it because, again, there's some musical numbers in there. And Danny Kay is so physically humorous that I think he also draws in children. So I think that's a, that's a good one for me. All right. This one right here I put in the middle list. It's already been brought up in the chat. It's probably the um, I don't want to put a war uh, warlike um, uh, metaphor on this, but this is like a this is a battlefield in the holiday season. Now, Die Hard is it a okay? Now, framed strictly Die Hard, I think we both agree is a play. It's a great film, but strictly as a holiday season film, is Die Hard a pass or play for you, Joel? It's a pass because I've seen it a number of times. And if I was in the mood for a Christmas movie, this would not be on the list. I think it's a classic action film, but I would watch it at any time. Like I don't, you know how when you see a, a, a movie that's got a Christmas section in it and you watch it in like the summer and it feels weird, like it feels off because like this right. is so strange. Whereas you can watch Die Hard at any time of the year and I don't feel weird, you know, I think because it's set in LA and there's no snow and yes, there's a Christmas party happening, but like that's, it, it's like second tier to what's actually going on in the movie. So I don't, cons I, I appreciate the argument online. I think it's mostly people stirring the pot on purpose, but I, you know, I think it's people that just don't want to watch another Hallmark Christmas movie. They'd rather watch Die Hard. So they put, hey, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Let's watch that, you know? I agree. I, 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 uh, 100%. I think that's the same thing. I think mostly, um, you know, and, and maybe in different households, like I knew I, there's this great story of somebody who every Christmas Eve, her family would go out and get McDonald's on Christmas Eve. That was their Christmas Eve dinner. And you're like, that's really weird. But mm -hmm. it was because when they had first moved into the city at the time, their house that they had just moved into their house, they were going to get it for basically Christmas day. They had nothing ready in the house, nothing unpacked. So there was only one place open on Christmas Eve and they went to McDonald's and that became a family tradition for them. And because of that, I think that just that gives you goosebumps because that, that's something that's important to that family. Now, if your family has something like that for a diehard or even, you know, any of these other films, there's a couple more here that kind of take place around Christmas that aren't necessarily driven by the Christmas theme or the holiday theme in particular. Um, that's fine. But I think strictly if you are putting this movie on a Christmas list and even the AV Club, I believe, puts Die Hard in its top Christmas films. My, my problem with that is just like uh, it just it, it makes me a little annoyed because it's like you have a genre where there is a lot. You don't need to drag content into it. And unless it's heightening the genre that is the holiday film and you can say it heightens it because it makes it actiony or it's more splashy or whatever. But there's there's really nothing about Die Hard that screams to me, oh, I definitely have a new way of looking at the holiday or or there's something that pulled out there or, you know, whatever it is like it takes place around the holidays, it takes place around Christmas. It's a phenomenal film. Great action film. 
but uh, it's a pass for me on the holiday season. Um, one that also takes place around Christmas that I threw on here, mostly for nostalgia purposes, free all the messiness that is now the, the lead actor and his whole life. Uh, the Johnny Depp back Tim Burton film, Edward Scissorhands. Um, even more, it's weird. Tim Burton loves this, like putting things around the holidays, but making it very dark, um, which is just his total wheelhouse. But uh, how would you feel about watching Edward Scissorhands around this time of year, Joel? Pass or play? I'm going to say pass. I remember seeing it, remember thinking it was weird and cool, but I don't, again, think of it as a Christmas movie. And I think having not seen it in absolutely ages, I would have the same problem I have with The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's like, well, where, when do you play it? Like, when, like, <laughs> is it before Thanksgiving in the US? Is it, is it, is it too late when you play it in December? Like, I do remember some key scenes. Like, I remember ice sculpture and that making it snow when he's carving it. Mm -hmm. But like, but other than that, like, I really don't remember much uh, about the film. But I would say as far as a Christmas movie goes, as you stated, pass for me. I will say pass, but I will note it's the the ice sculpting scene that you're describing, particularly the piece of music by Danny Elfman, Ice Dance, where um, Winona Ryder dances and the ice created from sculpting the, the ice and then the bits fly in the air. Um, that piece of music still haunts me in a very beautiful way. I love it. It's one of those things that kind of creeps into holiday music lists orchestrationally is that ice dance piece. Uh, by Danny Elfman. So for that reason alone, it kind of sneaks in always in the holidays, even if I don't get around to it. Um, but overall, yes, I agree that as a film for this holiday season, I will also hit pass. Um, one more sort of outside the box one that comes up a lot is Gremlins. I don't know if this one holds any place in your heart or not. Uh, it's sort of like the holidays Goonies, I've heard sort of like this weird hits this perfect little nostalgia spot for a lot of people around this time of year. So Gremlins pass or play for you, Joel? Pass. Again, great movie from my childhood. I have seen it a number of times. I think I have more recollection of the second one, but I still don't think of Gremlins as a Christmas movie. I will admit solely of everything on this list, it's the only one I haven't seen, but I had to put it on here. So it's a pass for me because I just have never seen it. So I don't really know for sure how I could really classify it, but it does show up a lot more than you would think if you Google holiday films. So I just wanted to shout it out as well. Now back to some of the more schlocky traditional stuff. I don't know again, how much broadcast television puts the same stuff on every single year, but the, Stop motion, original, claymation, whatever you want to call it. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Have you seen this over and over and over again, Joel? Is it a pass or play for you? Oh, I've seen it dozens of times. Dozens of times, for sure. <laughs> because this this would have been on TV in a big block of stuff. The Rankin Bass sticks into your memories of being a kid in the 80s and the 90s. Because this was made in 64, I think and it's old yeah oh it's really old but in in a way that you know a lot of animation from that time can sometimes be really dated it's not bad mm. like it just kind of makes fun of professions and dentists and there's some weird the i mean the animation is really kind of creepy by modern standards in general <laughs> sure yeah but it's got some nostalgia bits to it i would it's the kind of thing where again because i don't have a family i would say pass but it's it's short like i feel like it's only a half an hour 
or something like that. So if it's it was long, if yeah. it was on TV at a at a family member's place, like I'd watch it. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say I absolutely think about about it as a Christmas film. So we'll say play as as uh, the criteria dictates. But yeah, I I think it's a classic, and I think that there's nothing to hold up because it doesn't really push any any boundaries and there's a number of other films that kind of all come to mind when you mention rudolph the red-nosed reindeer santa mm-hmm. claus is coming to town frosty the snowman how the grinch stole christmas charlie brown christmas like these are all things that were on tv over the holidays when i was a kid they had to fill air and all the kids were home from school so they threw on all these things yeah. to your point 1964 it was released rudolph the red-nosed reindeer 55 minutes running time so actually pretty solid oh, it's an hour okay. um usually yeah when you run that on 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 broadcast television yeah it gets you about an hour and a half probably mm-hmm. um usually plays in the states uh yearly on cbs um yeah we did try to find this through back channels to show our children there's a lot of random, as you would expect, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer takeoffs. But that original uh, 1964 one, um, I still enjoy it. I will hit play. Um, I also, again, have a sweet spot for this. My father loved it because the main elf, Hermie, I believe he is, uh, really wants to stop being a Santa elf and be a dentist. And my mm-hmm. father was a dentist for his, well, is a dentist and still uh, although he's near retired anyway but um it was one of the few times he was like nobody in any pop culture ever wants to be a dentist in a positive way and here it was Hermie wanted to be a dentist and sure enough it saves the day in a lot of ways so um that also has like a nice little little extra nostalgic burst there so uh okay so that's a play for both of us you did already hint at the other one of these that I, I really wanted to highlight now a year without a Santa Claus I did enjoy a lot too um I believe that's the one uh, the classic one um, that has Snow Miser, Heat Miser. I love those songs so much. Uh, if you know, you know. If you don't, then, you know, it's another one of these um, claymation ones uh, where Mrs. Claus is highlighted as the main character because Santa Claus gets grumpy about this thing or that thing, doesn't want to do Christmas this year. Um, and then she's on a mission to sort of make it happen. And because of this, she meets these two forces of of nature, literally Mother Nature's children, Heat Miser and Snow Miser. Uh, just Google Snow Miser song. He Miser is just the same song. Uh, I like both of them, but Snow Miser song is a little bit more fun. Just look at how fun and creepy that character is, but how fun and joyful that song is. So just a quick aside there, but back on track, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the original, I think it's, is it Boris Karloff who's the voice of the Grinch? I'm going to Google that. Why It is Boris Karloff and uh, directed and a lot of the animation was done by Chuck Jones. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Pass or play on, on that one for you joel that yeah that's a classic that's that's a total play i much prefer this to the jim carrey or uh i uh benedict cumberbatch have i seen i don't know if i've seen the full benedict cumberbatch film i feel like i've watched it once and thought yeah that was fine you know but i there's just something about the classic animation because i studied chuck jones when i was in school like that was one of the animators that i really took to in terms of like learning the craft so i've i'm a little biased in that way but yeah 100 play for the animated how the grinch stole christmas agreed song amazing tony the tiger singing you're a mean one mr grinch excellent um i love it i i will i will say i own on dvd and enjoy to some degree the the jim carrey one i think that one is is not great but it's enjoyable in some senses um, but I do agree. I think also with the chat as well, um, just the pure story of the Grinch being a Grinch, you don't really need a reason why he hates Christmas. 
um, necessarily to get the point and uh it's really great it just holds up like the animation i think holds up i think so many elements of this this is one of the few super classics that i think definitely definitely needs to be up there and like the top top tier so i think we both fully support how the grinch stole christmas original cartoon uh voiced by boris karloff who just is so awesome um all right the the like random the only real thanksgiving related one i could find i could have couched here towards the end because there's not a lot of them um, planes, trains, and automobiles with Steve Martin and the late great John Candy. Um, how do you feel about this one, Joel? Pass or play? Pass. Not that I recall a fan of the movie, and certainly don't think of it as a Christmas film. Right, right. This is this one. I think I it, it, when you try and Google things that are non, but holiday or anything around Thanksgiving or, or that sort of time, I, I, the, supposedly, if you're not aware of it. Steve Martin's character is trying to get across the country home for Thanksgiving. Um, and then he runs into this wild person, John Candy, who kind of consistently through, although good hearted, keeps ruining things in his life as he tries to make it across the country. And um, uh, I'm going to hit pass for me. This is a classic comedy. It, it comes up in a lot of lists as well. Um, I, I can enjoy the actors of it, but it's one of these films that I think you and I, Joel, particularly probably would don't, love this style of comedy which the humor is character just trying to do something other character whether intentionally or just like absent-mindedly ruins everything catastrophically and so the main character has to just basically not lose their temper even though the situation is incredibly frustrating um or else they look like the jerk instead of the people creating chaos around them so great great job by by steve martin and john candy but it's a pass for me as well um What's really shot up a lot of lists lately, Elf, the John Favreau directed and the Will Ferrell starring film now has a musical. This one's now showing television. I feel this one's heavily, heavily pushed now as like a new modern classic. So how do you feel about Elf, Joel? Pass or play? Pass. 100% hate it. Can't stand the film. Oh, interesting. Okay. I have never heard a hard hate. Go ahead. No, it's a division with myself and many other people who just think it's stupid fun at the holidays and i don't generally like will ferrell uh but i really dislike this film i sat down and watched it with a friend years ago and i just i could not wait for it to be over like i equated it with my memory of being forced to watch twilight with a former partner like just dis dislike 100 <laughs> dislike that's that's cool because i i feel like a lot of you know people have some strong opinions about some of these things but i do feel like elf um it's it just shows up all the time now. I I have play. I, I I it doesn't ring as as close to me as my wife. She really enjoys it, and I think we'll probably end up showing this a lot to our children because Buddy the Elf is so childlike. Um, I don't love <laughs> the character of Buddy and his energy that could be then re-portrayed and replicated in my children's high sugar. Um, uh, buzzes the way you know his running and screaming and blasting through everything with his high energy but hey you know what committed to the character will ferrell and uh i just it's nice to nod again to john favreau and how much like i just have really appreciated him as a director and writer throughout this whole last couple decades because i feel like he's really put out some good stuff so um I, the the one <laughs> on here that i kind of put on it does show up on some lists and it gets into this category of 
the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. There's so many Christmas carols, so many ones. If you don't know the name of it, you at least know the name Ebenezer Scrooge, who's the main character. He needs to learn this lesson about being miserly, not opening his heart to all these other people. So I put some some on here that I enjoy a little bit more than the traditional ones, like the George C. Scott one or the one from the 50s. So I've started with Bill Murray's Scrooged. If that's a pass or play for you, Joel. It's a pass. I don't know that I've ever seen it. And despite really enjoying Bill Murray, especially when you compare it to Steve Martin, in terms of those comedies from that era, I generally prefer Murray over Martin. But I I feel like I would would enjoy a more traditional Christmas Carol take for a Christmas film. Uh, Scrooge is may well other than Die Hard, if you want to say it might be the least family friendly one on here because there are tons of adult jokes there is truly terrifying ghosts <laughs> i mean literally a dead uh zombie-like character and with great practical makeup where a golf ball comes out of the back of their skull um spoiler. oh wow and then a truly terrifying uh ghost of christmas to come or holiday to come, whatever it is, terrifying. But the motif of a, of a network television executive and sort of where they go and all these little bits, some of them are not evergreen. Some of the stuff is, I think, a little bit more topical. But overall, I think the film is still kind of holds up. Karen Allen from Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, which is near and dear to my heart, is the main lead character. I think she does a great job anchoring the heart of the film and actually giving somebody that could pull um i forget his first name but cross is his last name i believe um um bill murray's character towards the light uh the same way annie mcdowell does a great job in groundhog day you need these like lead female identifying characters that ground the sort of surly sarcastic jerk that bill murray is in a lot of his films until the end uh and scrooge is no different he is a full-on super jerk but i think also wild hair era uh, Bill Murray, uh, this is one of the top. So I'm going to hit play, uh, but keep the kids out of the room. Um, more traditional <laughs> more traditional to the thing, and it's already come up in the chat as well, and I think might be more in your wheelhouse. Uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. How about that one, pass or play? Oh, 100% play. I think I've missed a couple of years, but I watch this Christmas Eve almost religiously. This is my go-to and it just, it hit a note with myself and my sister when it came out. I remember seeing it in theaters and it, as soon as it came out on VHS, I think we wore the VHS out because we just ended up watching <laughs> it every single year, you know, at least the once. Uh, and I, um, I think one of the reasons for that is around the time that everything started going to home video and you wanted to watch things without commercials and all that kind of stuff, uh, the television special the Muppet Family Christmas, where they all go to Fozzie's mother's house, ended up being edited because they didn't have the rights to some of the songs. So the DVD versions that were everywhere in like Walmart bins were not the same show that you remember by heart from seeing it on TV year after year after year. And so this was more modern, a lot longer, more Muppets, better made. And so it kind of filled that gap of like, well, we can't find a copy of the actual Muppet Family Christmas, which I think you can watch now on YouTube if you look hard enough. Um, mm. But but this was was an absolute classic. And uh, I really, really enjoy it. I mean, Rizzo and Gonzo steal the show. They're, it's one of my favorite films. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's the best of the Muppet films, even going back to uh, the original Muppet movie. I think this one stands out almost head and shoulders in a lot of ways. The music in it is great. There are songs you can pluck from it. You can play all the time. In the chat, they were referenced Marley and Marley, which is just a hilarious song. Great, great use. Great use of characters that you know and planting them in a story that's really well trod and then interjecting it with both nostalgicness for Muppets, interesting takes for things, uh, the songs. I mean, I make this joke recently um, because we have children and stuff like that, but some of these great actors of generations we grew up with, uh, Joel, that had other parts that we know them as, are probably going to have the first line of their obit be this classic family cult film. Like Bette Miller's obit might start with from Hocus Pocus, even though she's well-respected, won numerous awards, but that's likely one of her biggest pop culture things now. Right. And I don't know, Michael Caine has a lot of stuff, but truly Michael Caine, The Muppet Christmas Carol, might be that thing that's really high up there in his obit because... I mean, he's great in it, um, but also this movie's fantastic. And uh, as far as a an anchoring face, you know, physical human star for a Muppet film, um, he does a fantastic job, Michael Caine does. So um, I will say, uh, it's also a big play for me, but uh, I, I will say, where do you stand on the controversy of, so, so their VHS came out, and then there was a period of time where they edited out the love interests, the the I think it's the love we lost or love we had. They edited it out. And I remember as a kid fast forwarding through it because I was a kid and it was boring. But as you age and you're adult, that song is heartbreakingly beautiful. And it has no resonance at the end of the film when they reprise it because they haven't you've cut it out. So where do you stand on keeping the song in or do you feel like, you know, it's nice, but it kind of slows things down? What, what do you stand on that controversy? Oh, I'm a purist. I, I want it to be the way that I saw it in theaters, which had that song in it. And I agree with you in that you lose something when you cut it out. There's a, a lot of sadness in Scrooge that that song gets across, that when you cut mm. it out, it feels abrupt. And all of a sudden, he's just upset about, I think, like missing opportunities. Like there's no, when you remove that out, it just doesn't feel nearly as heavy for Scrooge as it does when you leave it in. And I agree. And this is a bit of a deja vu for me. I feel like I've talked about this on the show before, but it's been nearly 500 episodes. So forgive me <laughs> if I don't remember. Um, but yeah, I, at the end when they reprise it, you're just like, that doesn't make any sense because you've, you've removed it. And um, right. I do remember there was like, I saw like a news article or a, or a social media post about them saying, by the way, you can now watch the film in its entirety on Disney plus like the whole right. thing is there and you can choose which one to watch or something. So rather than trying to like make the decision for people, they said, look, here's the one without it. Here's the one with it. Just watch whichever one you want. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. I feel like those purists who like the star Wars without the new CGI, they could do that. If you, I, I lean more towards, uh, Again, yeah, keeping the song in. Again, because it's just heartbreakingly beautiful. Um, but uh, it's just one of those weird things that happens sometimes when things get translated, that things get cut, and you're like, wait a minute, this is weird. Wasn't there a thing he was in that he's like, he's not looking at somebody? She's gone. It's just weird. It's weird that it gets cut. So anyway, uh, our last three here are pretty much, I think, on the Mount Rushmore, I would say, of holiday films whenever i see them show up a lot um this one might be very divisive though because of saturation point so a christmas story the yes fragile 
the, you know, you'll shoot your eye out. That classic film run for 24 hours in the States. Where do you stand on A Christmas Story, Joel? Pass. I've never liked it. Joel, we were friends for so long, so many years. <laughs> we were friends for so many years, and now we're done. Oh, this is so sad. Is it what you just didn't like it, period, or oversaturation, or a little bit of everything? It's probably a combination of oversaturation, but I just I don't like it. I find it slow and boring and awkward. Like I just, and I haven't seen it in a very long time because I decided early on that I just didn't like it. I would much rather spend my time watching other Christmas films than than this. That's fair enough. I, it's totally fine. There's such a saturation. Like, I feel like right before they ran it for 24 hours and maybe the first two years they did it, like, I was like, oh my God, this is great. Like, I, I, found, I felt like I found this nugget, this film, A Christmas Story, uh, before they even put, like, at Ralphie's face on pajamas. And now it was, like, merchandised out the wazoo. And now they did a live musical version of it. All these different things. And now they've done a a revisit on on uh, HBO Max, Max in the States, uh, where it's the same character coming back and he's Ralphie and I haven't even watched it. Like, but I will say to me, it's not Christmas Eve slash day unless it's playing somewhere in the background. And there are still jokes in it to me that land so well, even though it's of a bygone era, um, that some of the more, you know, memed parts of it, yeah, there's a bit much, but I still think to this day of any time uh, my children are wrapped up or wearing constricting clothing and, and you're in any situation where you cannot move. And I just think of the line from Christmas Story where it's like, Randy lay there like a slug. It was his only defense because he's so wrapped up in Christmas gear. He can't move his arms and legs. He's fallen in the snow. No one can pick him up. And I just think of that line over and over again. Whenever I'm in a situation, I'm like, it was my only defense. You know, you're just laying there. So I, I reference this movie probably outside the holidays a lot and just passing in my life. I love these sort of slice of life nostalgic things. And this one hits for me. So this is a big, big play for me. Um, and it might be the reason why uh, Joel never invites me back. But maybe I can get him back on track with uh, the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Chevy Chase uh, brings back Clark Griswold here for possibly his the most popular of the vacation films, although I, I lean more towards the first one the most. But as far as Christmas Vacation is concerned, Joel, is it a pass or play? It's a play. I definitely associate this with Christmas. I don't watch it on my own every year, but if someone's like, I'm having a Christmas party and it's all vacation themed, come over, we're going to watch the movie and have a good time. I'm 100% in. Like I, I, There's a lot of classic stuff, especially with people my age, because again, we would have gone to see this in theaters. We would have been the right age for it. And, and I remember really enjoying it whenever it was on TV. There's a lot of classic jokes. I, I think my brother-in-law and I still have like quotes that we throw back and forth during the holidays that are from the film. <laughs> and uh, I think I like a lot of the classic archetypes in the film as well. The only giant asterisk that I have is that I really don't like Chevy Chase. Yeah, as a person. for sure. And yeah. I have a hard time removing modern comedy Chevy Chase from this. And so... I can sort of get past it because I, I feel honestly one of my favorite characters is Ellen Griswold. I like his wife a lot. Mm -hmm. I, the, she's mm -hmm. she's Beverly funny, but she's funny, but subtle, but still plays the straight man sort of deal, like, you know, quote unquote, in, in the film. And uh, I like her performance a lot. And then, of course, uh, Randy Quaid was pretty funny as a character actor in, in that uh, uh, cousin Eddie. And I think like some of my favorite bits from it are actually not related to Chevy Chase. I remember my buddy Scott and I just howled when the cat 
gets fried under the Christmas tree, like that, (laughs) and the dog making the barf noises under the table. Like, there's all kinds of stuff that gets me that's got nothing to do with Chevy Chase. And I think it's all the tertiary stuff. It's the layers of the film that I really like. Oh, the moment when they're all eating what the one grandmother has made and they realize that it's has like dog kibble on the jello <laughs> yeah. and they're all kind of suffering through it. And the one character, I don't remember who it is. It might be Randy Quaid takes a bite, kind of has that moment like, eh, and then goes, eh, not so bad. And then keeps going those little bits. Like that's, that's when you've seen a movie so many times that those little moments stick with you uh, more so than almost anything else. But uh, also people forget, but Julie Louis-Dreyfus is in it as one of the jerk neighbors next door. Her whole part of that movie is just is wild and weird. And just uh, the whole the whole movie in general is, um, man, down to the the real. It's also interesting. There's a stunt, real stunt done early in that film involving a 18-wheeler and a car. And it's right. a real stunt. And if you Google and look about the story about that stunt, it's actually horrifically dangerous. Uh, all the things I was reading about, looking about it. So it's interesting that that is something probably almost nobody really thinks about as far as danger and the holidays and how this film was made. But, um, you know, the movie just has so much to it. Like you can analyze so many elements of it. So I, I it's a big play for me. I hope soon-ish my kids will be able to watch it. But I still feel like this is a better one for like that early middle school preteen uh so they can really appreciate more of that stuff so the last one here on the list is one that gets played a lot in the holiday season Uh, you could have arguments for against it really being more about the holidays or if it's just more about life i hear all those arguments so i'm willing to hear yours joel even though you said no to a christmas story so joel is it's a wonderful life the Frank Capra classic starring Jimmy Stewart. Is that a pass or play for you for the holiday season? It's a play, but I think because I've been introduced to it, not on network television, it was always on when I was a kid. It was always, you never found the start of it. It was always in the middle. Agreed. As a younger person, I don't ever remember (laughs) actually watching it from start to finish. And somewhere in the last like 10 years or something like that, uh, I actually sat down and watched it because it was streaming somewhere and you could just watch it uncut. And uh, I quite enjoyed it. I do think of it more as like a filmed stage play. Like the acting is just so over the top in a lot of ways. And I, in in a way it reminds me of going to see like a play at Christmas time. And so I do, I do like it and I, I, I would watch it over the holidays. So it's a play for me. I've heard it as a, as a staged um radio drama like you're in the oh, room oh yeah radio drama that was phenomenal that's a good way to look at it yeah yeah um and i agree with you i think it's it's a bygone era that still elements of it can still resonate and i agree with you for years i had no idea why they kept talking about jimmy stewart being deaf in an ear because i kept missing that part of the film and you lose that entire early part with the whole pharmacist and all these different things and and i kept watching and being like I, I kind of confused, like, who are these people? What's these references? And it was because it was on network television. So I, I sincerely push people to not watch it on network TV. Like a lot of these holiday films, unless you've seen them a billion times. But It's a Wonderful Life kind of loses a lot to both editing and the pacing, which is already very slow, uh, being dragged out on network television. So if you've always hated It's a Wonderful Life or just thought it was pretty boring, um, I highly encourage playing it um, and playing it outside 
in, in whatever medium you're most comfortable with. So you could just watch all the way through. Um, it is, in my opinion, uh, my second favorite film of all time. Oh, so wow. It is, is quite up there. I just, there's so many, there's Jimmy Stewart, like Tom Hanks in a lot of ways mm-hmm. will make me tear up and just gets, gets some element of humanity in his performance that is just so purely genuine that um, I just, I can't get over it. And it hits me every single time. And there's so many bits and memes that are overplayed about this film. Um, and I get it. And, and in a lot of ways, it is golden schlock, cheesy, corny, all these different things. One one man, one person's impact on a community is is more important than you would ever imagine. All these sort of stuff, the everyman stuff. But uh, I will say, I, I truly think this film hits like what I talked about very early at the show with Superman. It hits this genuine heart that is genuine. It's sincere. And I don't feel like any part of this film is winking. And I don't feel like any part of this, nobody in this film didn't buy in. And that's really, really important to a good holiday film is everyone's bought into it. They're having fun. Yeah, but they're not really having fun at the expense of the film itself or the audience. And that's really important. Because I think in a lot of ways, um, nowadays with how we kind of comment on everything and the YouTube society, I, I, you know, in general, we kind of love to sit in uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 everything and even in films now, which I love, but sometimes there's a little too much meta calling itself out. This film has none of that and I, it's better served for it. And if they ever remake it, this is truly number one, probably after it was a lost Ark. that if it was purely remade, I would absolutely be upset. So uh, it's a super big play for me as well. And as I've now have children, it, it resonates uh, even more as well. So it's a big play. I think it still holds up for the holiday, but I can see your argument that maybe it's a bit broader about life than it is about the holiday. So I see both of those. So that's all I have for you for pass or play. I think overall, Joel, we're still friends. Uh, we'll mend some fences over the years. Um, and I'll see if I can get you back on track with some of these films. But overall, I think we agree. Sorry, I didn't prep you this. If you had only one on this whole list, though, somebody says tomorrow, okay, you can't watch anything for the whole holiday. What's jumping out to you right now is the only one you absolutely think you're definitely going to try and play this holiday season. Muppet Christmas Carol. I knew you were going to say that. I was like, I felt that vibe. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. the go-to. I think because it's it's got a lot of levity to it. And despite some of the emotional storyline that comes with Christmas Carol and some of these other films can be, we'll say, heavier or slower. I think that's the thing. It it has enough of a pace that it's not going to drag. You're going to have the emotional roller coasters of it. There's a lot of laughs. So yeah, Muppet Christmas Carol, I think would be my top from this list. That makes sense. It's definitely in my top three. So there you go. I'm assuming Wonderful Life is your top. I mean, honestly, if it's just the holiday season, I will push it down. It's probably going to be Muppet Christmas Carol now that I have kids, so I can play that anytime. Um, as they get older, I'm going to try and push maybe Christmas Story is that film for me. Um, so, and then as they're older, older, maybe Christmas Vacation, but it's probably an argument at this stage in my life for a Muppet Christmas Carol or perhaps a Christmas Story. Yeah, I agree though. Muppet Christmas Carol, they freaking love Muppet Babies. So Muppet Christmas Carol and Home Alone might be like the go-tos this holiday season. 
Well, I think that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that we talked about at the thecitadelcafe.com. The music of the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, really wherever you find a free podcast, you can find the Citadel Cafe. Be sure to leave a rating and a review or a comment on the YouTube channel that helps the, uh, the algorithms out there put us close to the top of things word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show just tell friends about the citadel cafe and where they can go to listen to it if however you'd like to support the show financially you can do that by going over to patreon.com slash the citadel cafe if you're getting value out of the show please consider putting a little bit of value back in you get access to the member only discord server which now includes the live recording of the show as well as access to the whole community which is shared with uh, my twitch page and my other patreon so there's a lot of people in the discord talking about nerdy stuff probably talking about christmas stuff as things come up Big thank you to our Bean Counter patrons, Cosmic and Smurf588. Really appreciate your support on this episode. Patron count is at 28, which is down from the last recording. Our goal each time we record is to have at least one more patron than the previous episode. If you would like to be patron number 29, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything that I am doing online at joelduggan.com. That includes links to my other podcast about Minecraft, the Spuntrunks at thespuntrunks.com. And of course, you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week. Lego has been on Fridays, but that's going to be transitioning into Satisfactory, I believe, in the near future. And of course, Minecraft on the weekends. Brockett, where can people find you online? You can find me at the Cat Volver on all the social media that matters. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.